Brothers and sisters, please open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We will read from verse 1 through 11, but we'll focus in on verse 1 through 3. Philippians chapter 3, we'll read from verse 1 through 11. We'll focus in on verse 1 through 3. Brothers and sisters, hear the word of the Lord. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Brothers and sisters, let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us today. Help us to understand this, your word, and to apply it. To bring it into our hearts and let it sink deep. Lord, I pray for myself that you would give me strength and wisdom to preach such a wonderful passage. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us today to rejoice in you and in nothing else. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. Amen. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, every century has had its heresies. Every era has its false teachers and its false teachings. Just as every field has its snakes and every ocean has its sharks, so too every generation has those who would destroy the church and break it down, often from the inside. These heresies certainly take many forms. They come in all shapes and sizes. You can find just about any topic in the Bible. There is a heresy about it. But at the end of the day, just about every heresy you will find, brothers and sisters, has the end result of teaching us to hope in something other than Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that. 
just about every heresy you will find has the end result of teaching us to hope in something that is not Jesus Christ. To trust in something other than His work. To rejoice in something that is not Him. We see this in full display on the passage before us this evening. You see, in Paul's day, there was a great heresy attacking the church. One of the greatest heresies of all time. Certainly the first major heresy that the New Testament church faced. This heresy is nowadays called the Judaizer heresy. It still exists. It's not super common today, but it still exists. And in Paul's day, it went something like this. These false teachers would come to the church and they would say, well, yes, Jesus Christ is all well and good. He's nice and all, but you need something else as well. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. But look, God gave us His law and He blessed it. So in order to be saved, you need to join with the Jews. You need to be circumcised. You need to keep the Old Testament rituals and feasts. You need to do these certain things. And if you do these things, then Jesus Christ, well, He'll come in clutch and He'll save you with the rest of the way. God will uh, accept you if you have Jesus plus. Their religion was a Jesus plus. Jesus plus works. Jesus plus rituals. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus something else that would make them acceptable before God. These false teachers had their hope and their joy set upon their own works. They looked to themselves for salvation and not to Jesus Christ. And these false teachers, brothers and sisters, well, they hounded the early church. We're not exactly certain how many churches they attacked, but we uh, believe that they attacked in Antioch because we see in Acts chapter 15 the church of Jesus Christ in the early days coming together to one of the first councils to fight against this in Antioch. They attacked the church in Galatia. Paul had to write the entire book of Galatians to put a stop to this Judaizer heresy in Galatia. They attacked the church in Crete, and Paul had to write to Titus and command him to put a stop to them there. It even became a question, it seems, in Corinth. Paul approaches this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here, too, Among the Philippians, the Judaizer heresy begins to rear its ugly head and Paul must warn the people of Philippi to be on the alert against them. Essentially, this whole chapter will be taken up in Paul's warnings against false teachers and especially especially in these first verses against these Judaizers. Congregation, what ought we to do? When we face false teachers? What ought we to do when we approach those people who tell us that we must have Jesus plus? Well, congregation, how should we respond when people try to lead us into legalism and into the belief that somehow our actions help us? Paul begins to give us an answer today. In this passage before us, he tells us that we must rejoice in the Lord. 
That's what we'll be studying from this evening. And we'll study it in really three ways. First of all, we'll see this command. Rejoice in the Lord. Second of all, we'll see the warning to beware the false teachers. And third of all, we'll see a description of exactly what it means to rejoice in the Lord. We begin in the first place in verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord. Look with me there. He says, very simply, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Begins even, even before speaking of these false teachers, he begins with a command. Rejoice. This command is a very characteristic of command, command for Paul, at least in this letter. We must remember, congregation, that Paul and the Philippians are not having an easy time of things. They were a people with many concerns on their mind. Paul was at this time imprisoned, likely in Rome, under house arrest. He had been there for some time by this point. He had been in chains for up to five years by this point that he writes this letter. In Philippi, there were dissensions among the brothers disagreements that were taking place. There was seemingly, according to chapter 1 in the book of Philippians, persecution that was going on. And to top it all off, there were these false teachers. But nonetheless, Paul begins with this command. Rejoice in the Lord. At every turn and every difficulty that Paul addresses, he points them back to the Gospel of Jesus Christ, back to the joy that they should have in Jesus, no matter what situation they're in. If you'll indulge me for a moment, we can turn to Philippians chapter 1. Verse 12-18, through 18, Paul talks about his imprisonment, and he continues to speak about these people who preach in order to increase his hardship. And then he says in verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this, I rejoice. And you could say in the middle of hardship, I rejoice because Christ is preached. A little while later, verse 18-26, through 26, Paul looks forward to the future. He's not 100% certain what will take place. Yet nonetheless, even though he's looking at the possibility of an execution, he is able to say uh, in, in verse 18, continuing, yes, and I will rejoice. Congregation, Paul is able to rejoice knowing that Christ's name is preached and that whatever happens, Jesus is exalted. Again, chapter 2, he addresses the unity of the church and he says to the people after saying if there's any unity in Christ, he says, verse 2 of chapter 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. By having that same mind which is in Christ Jesus. Whenever there's anything that might be a problem, brothers and sisters, Paul directs them up to the fact that in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, they can find rejoicing. So now Paul comes to them with this other problem, this problem of the false preachers. And before he's even brought up the problem, he sets out what might be called the thesis statement for the rest of this chapter, or even for the whole letter 
to rejoice and specifically to rejoice in the Lord. Not in themselves, not in their works, not in the things that they can do, but in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who gives true cause for rejoicing. Now, brothers and sisters, this command ought to be an easy command for the people of Philippi. It's almost certainly a command that they've heard many, many times before. Paul has always sought to preach the good news of Christ Jesus. Yet Paul says here essentially, to repeat this command should be easy. It shouldn't be a burden to them. It shouldn't be a burden to us. Whether they've heard it once or they've heard it a thousand times, whether we've heard it once or we've heard it a thousand times, it should be an easy command to follow to rejoice in the Lord. We should have this command nestled deeply in our heart. No Christian can go long without thinking on the joy of salvation. But nonetheless, brothers and sisters, so often in our lives, we don't rejoice in the Lord. So often, our focus is turned from Jesus Christ who is seated upon His throne, and we look away to other things. To hope in that which is not Jesus Christ. To find peace in that which is not Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, I'd like you to examine your hearts today. Do you find this in your life today? Do you look for your satisfaction, your salvation, your hope, or your joy in anywhere else but in Jesus Christ? What do you lean on, brothers and sisters, to make you right before God? When you stand before God in the final judgment and He asks you of your faith, what will you tell Him? Will you tell Him, I did good. Will you tell Him, I did this or that or the other thing? Will you say, Lord, Lord, did we not do many great works in Your name? God wants us to rejoice in Jesus Christ alone. To find peace and to find hope in Him alone. Not in our works. Not in, not in the fact that we go to church. Not in the fact that you may or may not come from a Christian family. Not in the fact that you are baptized or that you take the Lord's Supper or, or that you claim to be a good person. God is not content to look upon our works because our works are as dung. God wants us to rejoice in Him. To have peace in Jesus Christ alone. Nothing else but Him can save you. Therefore, congregation, listen to this command that Paul gives us here in chapter 3 where he says, rejoice in the Lord. If you this evening have your hope or your joy set in anything else, then friend, throw it away. Your peace will bring you nowhere if that peace is not founded on Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, congregation, if you can find and can say that your hope is in the Lord Jesus, if you can say, I trust and rest in Him alone, well then this command ought to be something that brings peace to you. And it should bring great peace as well. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. 
No matter what situation you are in, whether you are in hardship or persecution, whether there is dissension in the church, whether there is hardship in the church or out of it, whether you have trials in your own personal life, or whether things are going well, congregation, this command should be something which teaches us to rejoice in the Lord. It is in Him that we can find peace. Second of all, Paul commands us here to reject false teachers. God commands us here to reject false teachers. Look with me at verse 2. He says, Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. At this point, Paul now speaks more directly to these false teachers or about these false teachers. He tells the people of Philippi to beware. To look out for them. To be on the alert against them. And Paul uses three terms here to describe these false teachers. To explain the false teachers. And I want us to look through these three terms briefly. None of these terms, you'll notice, is very complimentary. None of them uh, speaks well of these false teachers, but every one of them is designed to teach the Philippians to see these Judaizers for who they really are. First, Paul says here, beware of dogs. He calls the Judaizers dogs. Now, the image that we get when we think of dogs is very different than the image that Paul has in mind. When you think of a dog congregation, perhaps you think of a fluffy little house pet who's kind and loving and perhaps very foolish, but a nice pet. A lot of times when we think of dogs, we think of Fido or Spot that's at home and we, you know, we feed him treats and he does a few tricks or perhaps he doesn't do any tricks. That's not the idea that Paul has here in mind when he speaks of these people as dogs. Perhaps, on the other hand, when you hear beware of the dogs, you think of a working dog. A shepherd dog who's smart and loyal and able to defend a flock against dangers. Perhaps you think of a guard dog. And, you know, we are often seeing these little signs that say beware of the dog. That's not what Paul has in mind either. He's not speaking of either a house pet or a work dog. No, he's speaking about a street dog. Animals that are like a plague in a city. These dogs in Paul's day would form packs, would attack other packs of dogs, would occasionally attack people who were in their territory. Here in Michigan, we don't see street dogs too often, but in Paul's day, they were very common. And I grew up in Mexico, and I can tell you in Mexico, they're all over. I more than once have been chased by these street dogs, and they are filthy, they are mangy, they are mongrels who attack at the least provocation, they steal, they fight, These are not good dogs. They have no loyalty to anyone. They're just generally something better beaten off than taken in. And Paul wants us to see these false teachers as dogs. 
You see, these false teachers certainly thought themselves uh, to be very good people. They thought that they were honorable people, respectable, and they presented themselves as worthy teachers, as helpful people. But Paul wants us to see these false teachers who taught salvation by works as curs, as filthy, flea-bitten beasts. Second, Paul calls these false teachers evildoers. He says that, that they are uh, bad workers, or, or here literally evil workers. The false teachers that Paul is speaking about certainly prided themselves in their good works. After all, they were teaching that in order to be saved, you had to follow these specific laws. It's almost certain that they presented themselves as holy, as more close to God, as more special than all the rest. To bring it into today's uh, sort of idea, they were the holier than now that were very punctual at church, that looked down on all the others who didn't do this or didn't do that or didn't do the other thing. They believed themselves to be good people. And if you asked them, certainly they would thumb their nose at you and say, well, I'm better than you. But Paul tells us, brothers and sisters, that these men were not good workers. They were not people who did good works. They were workers of evil. Their holiness was a veil for wickedness. The result of their works was sin and not salvation. And therefore, Paul says, beware these people. They're evil workers. Third, Paul calls these false teachers the mutilation. These Judaizers pushed the Philippians and all Christians they taught to be circumcised. And that was the the most important part of what they taught. Not to get crass, but they taught that God would accept them in part because they cut off a portion of their body. They were proud of this ritual. They imagined that becoming circumcised granted you entrance into the people of God. And so Paul uses a pun here, a a word play. The word he uses to describe them, katatome, means a cutting off. It's the same root word as the word for circumcision, peritome, a cutting around. And so these false teachers would go around and they would say, you must be cut around. And Paul says, no, no, no. These people are mutilating themselves. They aren't becoming acceptable before God. He's saying these people think that circumcision will make God love them, but in reality, they're just mangling and mutilating their bodies for no reason. Elsewhere, Paul makes a similar joke. He says, I could wish that those who trouble you would cut themselves off. Paul wants us to see these false teachers for who they truly are. Brothers and sisters, the same should be true for us. We ought to see those who teach salvation by works for what they truly are. Not for how they present themselves. Certainly, those who come in and teach salvation by works, they teach that they are selfless or pretend that they are selfless, but they're not. They're greedy. 
They're not holy, but sinful. They're not humble, but proud. They're not accepted before God, but an abomination before Him. So therefore, when you meet someone who is a false teacher, brothers and sisters, don't be distracted by the way that they present themselves. Instead, look at what Scripture has to say about them. Paul says here that they are dogs, false workers, mutilation. Paul says elsewhere, speaking of false teachers, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you'll turn with me there for a second, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We see here how clearly, beginning in verse 2, how clearly we ought to see these false teachers. Paul says, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. For of this sort of the, are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Whew. Now, brothers and sisters, we ought to look upon false teachers and those who would teach any sort of salvation by works in this way, not to see them as how they present themselves but as they truly are. Congregation, if we were to apply this to our own hearts for a moment, which we ought to do, friends, you ought to ask yourselves if you are the people described here. Those who were in Paul's day here believed themselves to be good people. They led themselves astray to believe that they were respectable. They painted themselves as holy, but in reality they were whitewashed tombs. Because they relied on their own works to save them, they were still dead in their sins and trespasses. But what about you, friend? Dear friend, when you study this Word, how do you see yourself? Do you imagine that you are somehow a good person? That God will accept you with your own actions? If so, you'll quickly find that you will be naked before God's throne. If you trust in yourself now, the Bible declares that you are not respectable. You are filthy, a flea-bitten cur who deserves beating. If you trust in yourself now, the Bible declares that your works are evil, that you are evil, that God looks at you with revulsion. If you trust in yourself now, God Himself looks upon your so-called holiness as mutilation. Now, I know that I speak strongly here, friends, but I speak no more strongly than Scripture itself speaks of our own actions. If we are to look to our own salvation, friends, we are completely and utterly lost. If we are to look to our own salvation, we are not acceptable before God, but mutilated. On the other hand, 
Paul's command should shine firmly and, and clearly before us nonetheless. Rejoice in the Lord, not in ourselves. Brother and sister, if you now rejoice or find peace in yourself, then you are lost. But on the other hand, congregation, if your faith and if your trust by the work of the Holy Spirit is in Christ alone, then we ought to rejoice. God takes our filthiness, our ugliness, our sin, and through the work of Jesus Christ, He is able to wash us completely from all of our sin. Paul will later on in the same chapter speak of his own life. He says, I was a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was regarding the law blameless in his own eyes. But he says, what things were gained to me, these I count as loss. And he says, for the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. Friend, throw away self-satisfaction. It will get you nowhere. But on the other hand, we ought to rejoice and to know that God, through the work of Jesus Christ, is able to save us from every sin. In the third place, brothers and sisters, Paul tells us here, commands us to receive Christ's work. To receive Christ's work. From speaking about these false teachers, Paul now turns to speak about those who are true Christians. And and look with me at verse 3 here for a moment. He says, We are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. You might be saying here, now wait a minute. Hasn't Paul been saying in the past two verses that we aren't supposed to trust in circumcision? How can he be saying now that we are the circumcision? Well, if you're asking yourselves that question, you are 100% right. Paul is not talking about circumcision, a literal physical circumcision itself here. He is not saying that we ought to trust in outward rituals. On the contrary, he is saying we who have faith in Jesus Christ alone, who belong to Jesus Christ alone, we are those who are truly part of His covenant people. Outward circumcision does nothing but cut away flesh, but true Christians have a heart that has been cut, a heart that has had sin removed. Even in the Old Testament, the Israelites recognized that circumcision pointed, excuse me, in part to the change of heart that God gives us through the Holy Spirit. Moses said to the people of Israel, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. So what Paul is saying here is not, well, we actually have been circumcised, so we're saved. No, what he's saying is, don't look at these people who pretend that they can belong to God by cutting themselves. Don't look at these people and imagine that these rituals will do anything. But if you are in Christ, 
If you are a part truly of His covenant people, if you truly trust and rest in Him and in Him alone, well then, we can know that we belong to Him. We have that inward circumcision. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the heart. So congregation, when, when Paul says these things, what he is saying is, don't be distracted by these false Christians. Look to true Christianity. Look what true Christianity is like. It's not one that rests in itself. And Paul gives us here three marks of this true circumcision. Three things that demonstrate and show what a true Christian is. Three things that set apart the true Christians from the false teachers. He says these three things. First of all, a congregation. He says here, true Christians worship God. Verse 3, we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. So if you are a true Christian, friend, you'll not be serving yourself. You'll not be worshiping yourself. Rather, you will worship God. And the point of what Paul is getting at is the same idea that, uh, that Jesus says in John chapter 4 when He says those who worship God will worship Him in spirit and in truth. So true Christians, congregation, are those who do not worship God externally only. They are not those who serve themselves or who are proud in their own works. You see, there are many people today, friends, who who come to church and who will not worship God, but they come to church because they want to feel good about themselves. Because they want to make themselves look good. Because they think that other people will respect them more or think more highly of them if they're in church. People like this are not true Christians. They are worshiping not God, but themselves. They're not worshiping God in the Spirit. Their worship is only skin deep. But Paul says here, we are the true circumcision. Those who worship God in the Spirit. So friends, examine your hearts today. When Paul says that we ought to rejoice in the Lord, that means in part that we ought to worship Him truly and from the heart. Not simply coming to church out of, uh, uh, because our family takes us here. Or because we have to because of this or that. Or because it's, it's the tradition and that's what we do. No, congregation... Those who rejoice in the Lord worship God from the heart. And by the work of the Holy Spirit who is in their hearts, they seek and to love and to rejoice in God. And secondly, we see here that true Christians boast in Christ. The true circumcision, it says here, we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying that we glory in Christ. The word here translated as uh, rejoicing in Christ Jesus, what is the idea of having peace in Him? As boasting in Him. as, As resting in Him. 
Just as the Christian worships God in spirit and in truth, he also rejoices and hopes in God. So congregation, if you are in in Christ, if you are a Christian, well, as I've been trying to show you all along, your peace, your joy, your hope and your trust in Christ will be in Christ alone. In the work of Jesus Christ alone. You will rejoice in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do you rejoice in Him? Do you find your hope in Him? Look to Jesus Christ, dear friend. See what a glorious Savior He is. He who for our sakes came to this earth, was incarnate and made man, who lived among us for some 30 years, who lived and among sinners, who suffered for our sakes and took upon Himself our infirmities, and who upon the cross was crucified for our sakes, who suffered the wrath of God, poured out upon Him. It's not even mentioning the, the, the beatings He received. Those who spit upon Him. Those who mocked the King of glory. Look upon Jesus Christ, congregation. This wonderful Savior. He who is King of kings and Lord of lords, right heir to all creation, who nonetheless took the form of a servant and being found in the form of a servant, humbled Himself to death and death on the cross. And look to Jesus Christ, dear Christian, who was not only crucified for our sakes, but resurrected for our sakes, who now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, who will one day return to judge the living and the dead, whose name is above every name, whose name is glorious, whose name is perfect. Brother and sister, do you rejoice in this Jesus Christ, this King of kings, the Lord of lords, the pearl of great price, the most precious among 10,000, the lily of the valleys. Congregation, do you find your peace in Him? All true Christians do. And it may be that as a Christian, you have for a time taken your eyes off Him. And if so, brothers and sisters, look to Him now. Remember that it is not Him who saves Or excuse me, it is not you, wow, not you who saves yourself, but it is Him who saves. Third and finally, congregation, Jesus, uh, Paul proclaims here that the true circumcision, those who are truly Christians, true Christians, trust in God and not in themselves. Paul says here, we are the true circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. No Christian has a hope to lean on or to hope in anything but Jesus Christ the Savior. And Paul says here that true Christians do trust in Him and in Him alone. So once more, friends, look to God 
Have no confidence in yourself. Paul says here that those who trust in themselves are as filthy curs. But those who trust in Christ belong to Him. Simply to to leave us with an idea of what this is like, congregation, allow me to leave you with with an image of a very old story. We don't know for sure if it's a true story or not, but the, the truth proclaimed in the story is certainly true enough. There's a man, his name was Jack. He was a peddler. He would go from house to house selling things, and he was a drunkard. And he would go from house to house in order to sustain himself to have enough money to drink away. But one day, Jack was walking along and selling things, and he came across a woman who was singing a hymn. And this old hymn that she sang, uh, we don't sing it anymore, but it goes something like this. I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all. But Jesus Christ is my all in all. Jack liked the words of the song and he liked the tune and so he'd go about humming this tune. But as the days passed, he began to, to realize the truth of what he was singing. That he was truly a poor sinner and nothing at all. And he said, I need to know this. I need to understand what this means. And he began, he found a Bible and he began to read it. And he realized that he was indeed a true sinner and nothing at all. But he also found in the Bible the truth that Jesus Christ was his all in all. And so he started going to church and the people began to ask him. They said, Jack, we know that uh, you're a notorious drunkard. You've been in going about our towns for years now. And what is it that's changed? Why, are you, why do you want to be a part of the church? And he said, well, I don't know much. But I know this. I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all. But Jesus Christ is my all in all. I want to know him better. And the years went on. And he became a member. He left behind his sin, but he became a member and people began to ask him, Jack, how do you know that you're saved? Because they could see a joy that was in him. And well, he would respond, well, there are two things I know. I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all. But Jesus Christ is my all in all. And people would ask him, well, what about Losing your salvation. Don't you fear that you would lose your salvation? And he would say, no. I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all. How could I lose what I didn't have from myself? But Jesus Christ is my all in all and He is in heaven. How could I lose that which is in heaven? And that which was given to me. The time came for Jack to die and he sat upon his deathbed or laid upon his deathbed and they asked him, Jack, what is your hope? And he said, I am a poor sinner and nothing at all. But Jesus Christ is my all in all and I go to Him. Congregation, this brief couplet, this brief hymn should be something that should be true for our lives as well. Do you find your rest in something else? Do you believe that you're not a poor sinner? 
If you believe by any stretch of the imagination that you are acceptable before God of your own works, friends, you are a poor sinner and nothing at all. I am a poor sinner and nothing at all. God's Word declares to us that we are lost if we are in our own works, that our own righteousness is as filthy rags. Paul himself, just a couple verses later, will call his own actions as dung. Perhaps a stronger word. Friends, look to Jesus Christ. In Him is our all in all. And from Him we have full and free promise of salvation. And therefore, with Paul, we can say here that those who are true Christians, well, they rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ and they have their hope in nothing but in God alone. Is this your hope? Is this your joy? Friends, let your confession be. I'm a poor sinner. Nothing at all. Jesus Christ is my all in all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would teach us this truth. We pray that you would teach us to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is anyone here tonight, Lord, who does not now rejoice in Christ, who now seeks hope in himself, who seeks peace in himself, Lord, we pray that you would teach this person to despair of self-righteousness, to have a holy self-despair. Lord, we pray that you would teach us that we are poor sinners, that we are nothing at all, lost if we are in ourselves, that our every action is that which condemns. But Lord, we pray that You would teach us that Jesus Christ is our all in all. That He is all we need. All we could ever need. All we could ever hope for. All we could rejoice in. And He is more than enough. Lord, we pray that You would teach us in hardship, in trial, not to rest in ourselves, but to look to Christ the Savior. To rejoice in Him. Father, we pray that this would be our hope. In Jesus' name, Amen.